first of all, dragons are intelligent. They're basically giant cats. And, you know, bad dragon dildos are a thing. Okay. (laughs) I thought you were going to say Sean Connery and Dragonheart had a personality, but instead you went to dildos. Welcome to another episode of the MacGuffin Podcast, the movie review podcast that dreams are made of. Keith Foster from San Diego, California. How are you doing? I'm doing good, and welcome back to the movies. That's right, if you're vaccinated, you can go to the movies. You, of course, are Cassidy Robinson from an undisclosed location in the Rocky Mountains. Yes. Today we're going to be talking about Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead, which is uh, premiered on Netflix. At the end of the podcast, we'll be doing uh, Pedro Almodovar's Tie Me Up, Tie Me Down, uh, which is on HBO Go or HBO Now. What is it called now? HBO HBO Max. Yes, HBO Max. I can never remember. HBO. It's on HBO. It's on HBO. It's not TV. It's HBO. And Keith is going to be doing a solo review of the film Nobody, which I did not see. Uh, But before we get into all of that, I wanted to take a little victory lap. Uh, A little victory lap. It came out recently. J.J. Abrams did this interview. (laughs) I know what you're talking about now. (laughs) A couple days ago, he he did this interview and it kind of went viral that he said something along the lines, along the lines Uh, that uh, maybe the Star Wars sequels, the most recent ones, would have turned out a little better if they had had a plan going into it. No fucking shit. I mean, (laughs) novel idea when writing films, like especially a sequential series of films that are coming out pretty close together. Yeah. Uh, So, uh, okay, I, I will say... A couple things about this. First of all, I know a lot of people are like, well, the original trilogy wasn't planned. Uh Uh-huh. Yes, but it was planned as like a solo film. It wasn't wasn't necessarily going to be a trilogy, right? Right. Uh, It only became a trilogy because the first one did so fucking well. So, yeah, he kind of made it up after, but he had a couple years to do it, and, you know... The first one stands alone pretty well because it's just one movie. Right. Uh, Whereas the new trilogy, they were planning to be a trilogy. We knew all along there would be three movies. Mm -hmm. So the fact going into that without a plan is fucking nonsense. Especially given how many different plot threads are introduced in that and, first, well, you would think at least after Force Awakens, they might hunker down and be like, "Okay, what are now? What are we gonna do?" Yeah, right. So, sure, go into Force Awakens without a plan. I get it. You wanna, you wanna get it going. You want the reunion, sure. But afterwards, what the fuck? I mean, also, even if you don't have a plan, maybe it's not a great idea to have a different filmmaker make each one, right? Right. So, and then Ryan fire, Johnson, fire yeah. one of them and then come in and do it yourself. Exactly. Like, yeah. I mean, and if they had a plan, it this that wouldn't have happened, obviously. Right. I will say, 
in slight defense uh, of that mentality, which, come on, this is fucking, this is as industry as it gets, right? You mm-hmm. should be a, you should be a little more professional than that, but whatever. The prequels did have a plan, and they still suck ass. You know what? I'm going to say something uh, controversial, maybe. I think, all things considered, the prequels are better movies. Yeah, that's a dog shit opinion. You are absolutely incorrect. No, no, I'm not saying that they're more fun to watch. I'm not saying that the acting is better, that the special effects hold up You're saying they're better movies, so that implies a a, a quality level better than than these movies. And that is absolutely incorrect. The the acting is dog shit. The story is dog shit. All things considered. It's shot very poorly. It's it is those movies are boring garbage to look at. They All are things considered, bad. Movies. I'm saying if you com- if you're comparing one trilogy to the other, now individual films I might rank elsewhere. No, no, I disagree with you completely. Like I, I like would, I like the Last Jedi more than any of the prequels. I would much rather watch the sequel trilogy all day long. I would rather do a marathon where I literally have to watch all three of them for 24 hours straight than have to watch the prequel trilogy. I'm saying on a structured level, on a scripting level, they're, they're more sound as stories. I'm not saying I like those stories. I, I, I still don't I think, think I they're disagree great. with you. I still don't think they're great movies, but I think that the prequel trilogy is more of a piece than the new sequel trilogy, which is just a hodgepodge of writer room arguments that Here's we're watching thing. in real time. I disagree with you because, it, it, yes, you're absolutely right that the sequel trilogy is a hodgepodge of writer room arguments, but you know what the prequel trilogy is? It's a hodgepodge of fucking fan fiction of this guy who is fanficking his own universe. Yeah. And it has just as many plot holes. It is a... F- they're a mess. They're a mess. Just the jump between, uh, like, uh, uh, Amid- Amidala, like, falling for this, like, 10-year-old boy. It's weird. Yeah. It's... It, no, they are dog shit movies. They do not work on any level and they are not better stories i disagree completely yes that was a controversial take cassidy because <laughs> well, it was mostly controversial to you i think there are there are plenty of people who would probably agree but sure and they you know uh, that opinion my, is my real opinion my real opinion about the entire thing is give me the original trilogy the og trilogy uh-huh. give me the mandalorian Everything else can kick rocks. I don't give a fuck anymore about Star Wars other than those properties. Man, you're just a grumpy bastard. I, I, here's the thing. The sequel trilogy is messy. Yes, it absolutely has its flaws. But it absolutely has a lot of fun, too. And yeah, I have some fun stuff, but watching. it's like, it's like watching, like, three seasons of television where the first two see like the first season's okay but derivative the second one oh there's some interesting stuff they're pushing characters in some interesting places challenging things okay and then the third one just shits the bed entirely and ruins the other two do you know what you're describing 90 percent of all tv shows i know that's why i jump ship early that's why i rarely get to the last few seasons 
Has it, okay, here's a question for our listeners. Has any TV show ever ended well? Oh, yeah, there's plenty. Okay, name one. Breaking Bad. Okay. There That's are off some the pe- top of my head. I Here's the thing. I agree with you, but there are some people that would argue that. There were people that mm-hmm. did not like the ending to Breaking Bad. Well, they just, they were not going to like anything. Well, that's you right now. <laughs> they could have literally come in. The cast of Breaking Bad could have come into the, those people's living rooms and performed the final episode for them. And they would have been like, mm, kind of drop the ball on that, guys. Yeah, that's what I mean. I <laughs> I think there's something. Okay, th- this is a broader theory here. But I think there's something. And you know what? The, I think that, uh, what's his name? Gillum? Gilliam? The guy who, the showrunner that, Breaking Bad? Vince Gilligan? Vince Gilligan, I think he probably had an idea of where that was all going. Mm, less of an at idea least at a point. The, the only Okay. Regardless of Breaking Bad, I think there's something about the idea of ending. We went on a totally different. Yeah. I don't even know where we are right now. Anyway, uh, <laughs> but I, I have this theory that there's, there's just something inherently ab- about the ending of... Like a long sequential story, right? Well, people Whatever just don't want to see something in because they it's like getting to the last chapter of a book. Yeah, and you build up these expectations in your mind. And mm. I think with a television show specifically, it's very easy to do that because it's like you see everything. Yeah. Uh, it's very easy to imagine where certain things are going and, and such. Uh, that I, I think it is... Almost impossible to write a good series finale. Not impossible, but it's not easy. It There's a be couple. Easy. I mean, I agree with you. I did like Breaking Bad, but... And that didn't you... go on forever and ever. That was five seasons. And I think, I think by law, like, you know, congressional law, no show should go past five seasons. Uh, I think I think there's a case to be made for maybe up unless to it's seven. something like Doctor Who or whatever, which constantly reinvents itself. Basically, yeah. no show should be over five seasons. All most shows would be better if they if they were limited. Yeah, I mean, I I agree with you, but I but again, like most series finales, and here's the thing: there's a bunch of them that are like massively derided that I enjoyed. Uh, so are you still a lost apologist? Uh, I'm actually rewatching lost right now with, oh, there with you my go. wife. That's She's where ne- all of this, this, uh, ap- apologia is coming from right now. You're on you, team well, JJ. You didn't finish it. You didn't I even didn't. finish it. You I heard the last few seasons were very good. Yeah. All right. Now, let's now go, let's move rocks. on. Let's move on. Um, I had a game planned and I, <laughs> we'll see how this goes. Uh, so we're reviewing Army of the Dead, right? And so I try to. Th- mm-hmm. I usually try and have the game tie in a little bit with our main review. You know, top five zombie movies. No, that's boring and not in season. Uh, rank Zack Snyder films. Who cares? And then I thought, okay, so the pitch for Army of the Dead, as far as I'm concerned, is Ocean's Eleven with zombies, right? Mm, I guess. That's yeah. Basically, I, I what it is. It's. I guess. It's a. Uh, it's a heist film with the added danger of zombies. Uh-huh. Um, so there have been a lot of movies that have kind of played on similar themes as classic films. Some which are almost like direct remakes. They just change the skin. Something like Yojimbo, 
being remade by Sergio Leone as as a fistful of dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you get that a lot, specifically uh, when it's especially back in the day. I think you got that a lot when it was like a foreign film that was right. adapted for an American yeah. audience. Star Wars, like- another Kurosawa. Uh, Star Wars basically being um, structural remake of of Kurosawa's The Hidden Fortress. There was a whole like period of films in the late eighties and early nineties that was die hard in a bus or die hard with this or die, yeah. like that was a whole genre for a little yeah, while. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So I kind of thought like, let's have fun with this idea, and let's try and think of some older films that could use like a either placed in a different genre or uh, retooled in some interesting way. So. I'll start, since okay. I know you were caught off guard a little bit, um, and I, mine's a little bit of a cheat because I'm. This is this would technically be the third time this plot has been used. So a good example of what I'm talking about. I got about, mine, by the way. You don't need to make apologies for me. And the more I think about them, the more they are like fucking solid. So. Good. I like the uh, enthusiasm. So eat so. It. So, a good example of what we're talking about here is uh, John Carpenter's film, Assault on Precinct 13, was essentially a remake of Rio Bravo. Instead of the Old West, it's downtown Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And um, it's like gangs instead of bandits. But both very fun movies. And I think they've been teasing for a while. They've been trying to get off the ground. It's in development. Um, I think currently... Uh, Michael Bay has the reins, but we'll see how how long it stays in his hands um, because it's been through a lot of hands. Uh, They've been trying to get off the ground a Lobo movie. Um, I mean, fuck. Don't, no, don't give that to Michael Bay. (laughs) Uh, They've been trying, they've been trying to do a Lobo film. And in case nobody knows, Lobo is a sort of C-list DC character. He comes from outer space. He's a bounty hunter. Um, and he, you know, gets into some shenanigans. And it's been written as a sort of an adult comic sometimes. It's been written as more sort of a mainstream, like, superhero adjacent comic. Um, mm-hmm. I'm kind of be taking it more in the R-rated direction. Uh, but I like that idea of Lobo is captured okay. and sent to space jail. Okay. And the jail is attacked by space bandits and the, the surviving space police and Lobo have to defend space jail against the space bandits. That's fucking cool. Yeah. I'm really into that. (laughs) Also, that would be like a cool, uh, I mean, that would just be a cool like comic run too. Like, yeah, that's a cool story. Mm -hmm. Uh, I thought you were going to say Lobo gets sent to space jail and then has to like, Go, I thought you were going to pitch me Escape from New York for a second. No, but not, I mean, you know, not too, yeah. kind John of in Carpenter, the same ballpark, yeah. 80s. Um, yeah, I mean, honestly, I think you could basically take any John Carpenter movie and put Lobo in it, and it'd be fucking cool. <laughs> Particularly his action stuff, yeah. Yeah, and fuck it, make him fight Michael Myers. <laughs> Why not? Uh, yeah, no, I think that's actually a really cool idea. Um, it'd be a good way to, like... Because it's such like a, you know, rock sturdy and here's um, the thing. St- plot structure that you can know, do anything to. I know that 
uh, Jason Momoa is already Aquaman, but he should be Lobo. Yeah. Like, it's fucking insane. They For basically a while, made... The Rock was attached. I don't think he is anymore. That was back when it was going to be the director of San Andreas, who's not attached anymore. So, I mean, it, I'm telling you, this thing's been in development hell for like 10 years. I'm sure it's not going to be great, but... I mean, it could um, be. Okay, my first pitch is take Casablanca okay. and make it a Star Wars. Okay, yeah. So, so in, instead of instead of making, World War Two, yeah, instead of taking a Star Wars and having it have to be a fucking trilogy for some reason, yeah, I mean there are the standalone movies, eh, like Ewoks? nobody really super cares, but they're there. Uh, oh, like yeah, like Rogue One and Solo and stuff. Yeah. But so this is you. Here's the thing: I I would even be taking it more against genre of Star Wars than mm-hmm. than the typical Star Wars. I it, to me it would be. A romance first like okay. that's i mean that's the key to casablanca let's let's really play with what we can get away with in the star wars universe right Are these established characters or would this be its own no. thing y- you make it up uh it's its own thing um i i Where was does this take th- place in the wars is this like between trilogies or is this like during the time of the of the empire or the I feel like it's got to be during the time of the empire for it to really work because right uh or um, at the rise of the empire because that's yeah, when cuz Humphrey Bogart was like you know the town I mean, was just the being point. taken over by the Nazis yeah so this might even be like Rogue One era kind of yeah like, maybe just a little after yeah. yeah, yeah, like right at the, the beginning of the Empire. Um, and I mean, I, I think there are some elements of this in Solo. Yeah, uh, a little bit. But I would be taking literally, like, let's just take the script for <laughs> Casablanca and rewrite every reference to World War II being a Star Wars reference. Yeah, so there's a, there, she's there and they're an old flame and there's and like, you know what else i, mean, I would set it in uh coruscant because we haven't really seen coruscant since the prequels mm-hmm. uh you know and and that's like most of star wars takes place in like the outer rim which i guess casablanca itself might work more for that because it is kind of on the fringe of the fighting i don't know right yeah it's a i just don't want another movie on tatooine Right, I agree. No, and it doesn't need to be that. And that's that's basically the idea. Take a, a a wartime romance and set it in the literal Star Wars universe. Right, and all of the emotional dyna- dynamics are going to work regardless because it's. I mean, that's just a. I mean, you know, yeah, it's Casablanca. It's, it's a great story. <laughs> yeah, uh, and you get and you there's a story also... of bravery and like people flipping sides and there's lots yeah, of stuff. And you can throw some action in it and mm-hmm. and you could also i think really flex your muscles with like casablanca i, I not a, i don't think it gets enough credit for being pretty fun like it's pretty yeah. funny and i think uh, a lot of people think of casablanca and they just think it's as melodramatic like you know wind in the background i'll exactly. love you forever kind of kind of movie because like the last you know the last few moments are that yeah, but yeah. it builds to that. There's all a reason. Of, all of the main, like, I guess, uh, trailer scenes or whatever that are constantly played on, like, every award ceremony is, like, the least interesting stuff. Exactly. Like, and, and, and it's a bit of a thriller. I don't think people really think of it as one, but it is. Um, and there's got, intrigue and Humphrey Bogart. Yeah. And, 
And here's the thing. We already know from Hidden Fortress that Star Wars works and uh, Mandalorian uh, Mm. that Star Wars works best when it's heavily ripping on something else. Well, I mean, this kind of goes back to the Lobo thing as well. Space opera, um, when it's not hard sci-fi, when you're not trying to like ground it in something tangible or realistic, when you're just talking about literally just spaceships stuff yeah Yeah, you know you're just changing the setting you can do anything that's why half of it's greek tragedy that's why half of it is shakespeare and you know it at all they're just trying to like find far too much of it is is the cambellian yeah hero story type but it doesn't need to be like you know i i think that's when this genre stuff is most fun is when it like Let's it tear down a little bit and yeah, yeah. doesn't have to be about the big D. And by that, I mean destiny. Right. Okay. My, my second one, I'm going to bounce off you a little bit. I thought I had it. And then I was thinking about it more and I was like, well, I don't. Mm, uh, mm, uh. But maybe you're a little bit more comic book savvy than I am. So maybe you can help fill in the holes here. Okay. So I don't know if oh, you've ever is seen. another comic book one, huh? Yeah. Uh, they both kind of went this direction. I don't know if you've ever seen Orson Welles' The Stranger. This was kind of a B-movie he did in between things. It's not one of his more well-known ones. It's in public domain. But it's kind of a post-war... Well, actually, it was made probably as 47. I don't know how far away are we from World War II at that point. Not very. Um, but it's it's a, like a World War II paranoia thriller where um, Edward G. Robinson is on the hunt for this Nazi who is hiding in a college, an Ivy league school in Connecticut as a, uh, as a professor played by Orson Welles. Oh. Um, and he's obsessed with clocks and blah, blah, blah. So I thought it would be fun to have put it in modern day and have that college be where Peter Parker is currently going to school. And one of his professors is not a Nazi, but he could either be, you tell me which one you like more, or you can come up with something better, X-Hydra, okay, a scroll, because they've been going in that direction, mm-hmm. or the chameleon. But I don't know a ton about the chameleon, so I don't <laughs> know if that makes sense. Could he be X-Hydra, or is that, would that be too retconny for fans? Uh, no, I mean... The, no, I, I think if he was ex-Hydra, it would actually be better if it was someone like the Chameleon. Because, like, just being an extra ex-Hydra guy is like, okay, we've yeah. done Hydra, infiltrated right. everything. And you don't like, want to waste the villain of your film on some no-name. You want it to be, you yeah, know, yeah. you want it I, to I be, have think, some weight in the story. Uh, the only thing with the Chameleon is if he's, like, if he's like retired... Mm-hmm. Then you wouldn't necessarily be getting to see the chameleon like do cool chameleon. Well, not things. necessarily retired. He's hiding because That's he's true. hiding from the tribunals. Um, and I mean that w- could also be cool if it, if like you saw some like flashback stuff because they haven't done that a whole lot in the Marvel universe. Mm-hmm. But like if you start like since we know Peter Parker's origin story, since we got all that. Yeah. Uh, you know, we it could focus like you could see 
the chameleon story and you could like see some of the stuff he did when he was Hydra and like sort of build it up to him to Peter Parker finding out. Right. And you could sort of have like two stories going on at once. So the idea I had was basically he's going to school. He has this professor. Everyone thinks this professor's on the level. And then, of course, Nick Fury or somebody from S.H.I.E.L.D. shows up and says, turns out he's a whatever, fill in the blank. Yeah. Um, so we're going to need you to do reconnaissance while you're going to class. And then Spider-Man shit ensues. Um, uh, I actually think it's better if... And if you can think of an actual Spider-Man villain for whom this like perfectly fits, that was the thing I couldn't really do. No, I actually i I think Chameleon fits this pretty great. Um, I I mean, the Hydra thing isn't really a thing. He was just kind of a thief, as far as I remember. Right. Um, but, but would people care if you changed that or or deepened it in any level? No, I I don't. I mean, sure, some people would, but whatever. They're probably right. already out on MCU after wasting Whiplash. Right. Uh, <laughs> um, so. Yeah, I actually think that's a really cool idea. The only thing I would cut out of it is, could you do it without having Nick Fury and S.H.I.E.L.D. show up? Because I feel like that's kind of Makes it what too we easy. got with the last Spider-Man movie. Well, that's what you Never... got with both Spider-Man movies. Exactly. So if it could just be like something it... he kind of figures out on his own, maybe I mean, it would be a little bit better. I, I personally would like that more. But the idea is Edward G. Robinson has knowledge going into the situation it's just that nobody believes him and it's like a whole thing and he's running on i get well okay i guess yeah. i mean i guess you kind of got that in the first spider-man movie as well right right so and then also the other direction they've been going with the with the villains spider-man villains in this new you know spider-man home away from home whatever it ended up being called um Never, you can't go home again or something. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, it's it's something like that. There's like, no place like home. Um, is that all of the villains end up being ex-Stark Industries. So that is another avenue you could go. But if you didn't want to repeat yourself like crazy, you know, there's ways to go. But the idea is Paranoid Thriller takes place on a college. Uh, Peter Parker balancing college life and Spider-Man life. And, you know, he has to take down one of these professors. Nobody believes him. Yeah, I think I I'm sold. I think it's great. Yeah, uh, I think you fucking cheated because both of yours are comic books. Well, um, everything. I mean, if you're going to pitch anything nowadays, it has to be almost. Yeah, that's true. Okay, what is so your my second one? Other idea. Uh, I mean, all of these are genre too. Like all right. of the ones we're pitching are like, let's take a serious movie and make it nerdy. Right. Well, <laughs> I I try to think about it. Like, well, what if I took like a fucking ridiculous B science fiction and made it not that? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I reverse think that engineer would be it. More <laughs> impressive. I think that would be yeah. harder. That's kind of um, what, uh, to a certain degree, that's kind of what um, uh, Martin Scorsese did with Infernal Affairs. Hmm. I mean, he made it more of a prestige film than Infernal Affairs, which is like more like a what I think the director, the Hong Kong director who made that was riffing on Face Off. All right. Uh, OK, so mm, Face Off's a good one. Yeah, there's something there. Um, <laughs> honestly, I just need to rip off more shit. Um, that's where all the good stories are. They've already been told anyway. Yeah. So my final idea was. Take a King Kong mm -hmm. and set it in like a high fantasy universe, like 
uh, I mean, you could even do it in Lord of the Rings Middle Earth, right? Um, maybe not specifically Middle Earth, but take it a high fantasy, like King Arthur type shit, like swords and sorcery. Yeah. Um, and it's like this bard finds out about this dragon or whatever, this giant mythical beast takes an expedition there to find the beast, bring it back to the kingdom and, and reap the rewards. And then it goes, uh, you know, uh, awry. Right. Um, but it's set in like a high fantasy universe. So instead of coming back to New York, you're coming back to basically some kind of castle. And it's not uh, a giant great ape. No, I not not an ape. Uh, I was thinking specifically like a dragon type, yeah. um, just because that makes sense for, you know, if you were trying to find like a rare mythical animal, that yeah. would probably be it. But maybe dragons are too smart. You could just make up a monster. I don't care. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that is uniquely King Kong about King Kong is the relationship that Kong develops with the female protagonist. Yeah. Um, that's a little harder to do with something like a dragon, which is like scaly and, you know, monstrous looking. I mean, did you see Shape of Water? She fucks a fucking creature from the Black Lagoon. <laughs> that's true. Uh, but, but yeah, that's a good point. Um, yeah, you gotta like, you to gotta be... anthropomorphize whatever it is to some degree in yeah. order to have that element of the plot, which I guess you don't necessarily have to do that. It could be, it could be, um, I mean, without that element doesn't have that for sure. Yeah. Um, I guess it has that a little bit with Brie Larson, but um, yeah, sure. So maybe it's not a dragon. Um, the Griffin. I don't know. I think I think maybe dragon could still work because of a couple things. First of all, dragons are intelligent. They're basically giant cats, uh, and you know, bad dragon dildos are a thing. So clearly, some ladies would fuck a dragon. Okay. Well, there you go. <laughs> I thought you were uh, gonna say. Sean Connery and Dragonheart had a personality, but instead you went to dildos. Well, here's the thing. You couldn't have it ha be, like, too smart of a dragon. Yeah. Because then it's... It can't be verbal. Yeah, you can't have it be a Dragonheart. You can't have it be a Smaug. Um, maybe <laughs> dragon's not the right angle. I don't know. Maybe we should take a an animal that's normally small and make it big. I mean, mm. that's what worked for King Kong. Uh, <laughs> like a a bear. A great bear, right? A giant bear. Yeah, but giant. Okay. I don't know what the monster is. We fill that <laughs> in later. But the idea is it's a, it's a King Kong set in a, a distinctly not 20th century Earth. Right. But also, just to punch a few more holes into this idea, isn't part of the appeal Fuck of you. King Kong as a story, the idea of this like old world meets modern world thing? Like, isn't that kind of the whole deal? I guess. It's like Forbidden Zone land that they all travel to. There's like dinosaurs still alive and stuff. And well, yeah, we've somehow been off the map forever. You can have that in a fantasy universe. But isn't that like sort of like the themes of King Kong? It's just like this like us, um, the modernity is ruining the natural order of you like, can still you can still society. have that in a in a fantasy universe. Yeah, like there's still modernity in it, it's the the idea is like not I don't even know if it's modernity, but the idea is like civilization, right? Yeah, I mean there's civilization on Skull Island. 
They're just, you know, but they tribes. they live in oneness with nature. So right. all that all that really matters is it has to be like an industrial nation. Right. That, and that you, you need know. to like enforce this idea of like colonialism. Yeah. And yeah. if it's if it's like European fantasy, where else what better source of colonialism? <laughs> like it could fucking take place during a fantasy version of the Crusades for all I give a fuck. I mean, I there's I an idea. I barely thought about this. Yeah. Okay. I'm just saying, you know. I think it could work. Need some workshopping. All right. Cool. Well, that was that segment. Let's go ahead now and move into the reviews. Keith saw the film Nobody. I did not. Tell me what it's about and what you thought of it. So Nobody is about uh, Bob Odenkirk is sort of like this domestic dad type. And he living that suburban nightmare, um, like everything's the same every day. Everything is very drab. Uh, Midlife uh, crisis. Yeah, kind of. It's more just like bored, you know, just like everything is just the same. Everything is very beige and bland. And then one night there's a break in in his house. Uh, A couple people are robbing his house and... Uh, I, I mean, I don't know how much I want to give away, but it, this is kind of all in the trailers. He doesn't fight them. He, you know, he lets them get away. He lets them invade his personal space and lets them leave. So this makes his suburban nightmare even worse. He loses the respect of his, you know, son, his neighbors, all all of his co-workers just kind of think he's this, this big pussy. Uh, they, they think that, you know, he's just like this milk toast guy yeah and this awakens in him this thing that he used to be this like imaginary like special unit kind of guy and because of that he sort of seeks out the people who robbed him and that reawakens this life of like high danger and uh espionage and you know and it basically becomes a john wick movie at that point um, but with Bob Odenkirk. So this movie is really fucking cool. Uh, that's kind of why I wanted to talk about it. I wanted to see it in theaters and it's like going to be leaving theaters soon. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but so I guess I just want to talk about it because I think it is absolutely worth seeing in the theaters. If you can see it, the action is so well done. This is one of the best action movies I've seen in a while. Ooh. Um, it is just visceral and brutal and uh meticulously choreographed this is like Um, fairly low budget right like this is kind of this is like in the like maybe 20 to 50 million dollar range yeah i mean it's yeah it's pretty low budget but like they make it work with you know each of the set pieces they use yeah just like this guy in a fight, he uses like any weapon that's available. Uh, you know, they use every element that's available. So like, you know, a fight on a bus, he's going to use every part of the bus to his advantage. Mm-hmm. And so I've seen the John Wick movies and I think they're a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but this one stood out to me because it's not quite as cartoonish. Um, like John Wick basically becomes Matrix movies. Like, Secret Assassin guilds and and you know all this stuff. This is a little more grounded. Um, it's it's a little more 
It's kind of a comedy, isn't it? Isn't it a bit like sort of a satire? Yeah, yeah. It's like a. a I mean, maybe yeah. I just got that because of the Odenkirk thing, and maybe it's not that. But I wouldn't say it's totally satire. It's more action than comedy. Okay, but the, there is it is light. Uh, it isn't. You know, it isn't like this heavy brooding character. He's a family man. He's mm. a likable. You know, and the casting of Baba Odenkirk makes him very likable. It makes it very. Just, a, you know, more relatable than a Keanu Reeves is ever going to be. Right. Um, uh, another thing I really like about this movie is just how efficient it is with visual information. A lot of the plot is, I mean, it, this is this movie is kind of the epitome of show, don't tell. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get some exposition a little bit later, but it's kind of a bit. Um, and it, it's, I really like the way they deliver this exposition. Um, but for the most part, you get everything you need to know just based off of like what's in the frame. It it is so well shot for an action movie that you you don't t- normally get that type of care with an action movie trying to make it, you know, a character that's relatable and likable and uh, you know, more information visually loaded than script dialogue. Right, right. My only problem with this movie is, and this is my minor, um, is the the third act basically becomes just action, which, of course, you're going to get that from an action movie, um, and is just a little less clever than the rest of the movie. Uh, but I, even still, it is so far one of my favorite movies of the year. I I give this one an A. Okay. Uh wow okay that's um surprising I knew pe- I knew it was well liked I didn't know exactly what the consensus was on it also I thought this movie came out like three years ago like no, I don't know no, if it was in development maybe. or something I read something about it or if I but I swear I've seen that poster I've seen the whole marketing it's like a weird deja vu thing where I'm like didn't this movie already happen you might be thinking of John Wick like no 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 the, no the- obviously I'm not thinking of John Wick I mean Bob Odenkirk and the whole fucking thing. <laughs> like the name of the movie, the poster, everything. I'm like, I'm sure I remember this coming out before. So, well, I I think it got pushed because of the pandemic. It was yeah. one of the mini movies. Maybe but that's it, it. it. Came out in like February, but I I think there've been trailers for like at least a year. And man, it could be that like pandemic time warp kind of situation. Also, I'm seeing here in the cast uh, Christopher Lloyd, who's fairly old. How's he doing? Oh my god, he is... Is he used to good effect, so or is he like just there for like a scene doing some weird shit? I don't want to give too much away, but it was... it. He's very old, and I'm very worried about him, but it was great to see him on screen again. Okay. Uh, I mean, is he, it a glorified he, cameo, though, or is he a real character? He's a real character. Okay. And then I also see Michael Ironside, who I thought was dead, but I guess he isn't. Oh my god! I was like, I, when I was watching the movie, I was like, Jesus, is that Michael Ironside? Um, uh, he is a much smaller character than than Christopher Lloyd. But uh, he, yeah, he he's, I would say he's closer to like kind of a, like, he's sort of in like one scene. But he's very good and I, I think uh, used to good effect. Okay. Yeah, the, the entire cast is really good. The villain is 
again, they do a really good job of, uh, he's played by Alexei Serebikov, Alexei Serebikov. Uh, and he's a very much a character and, and really fun too. Um, I think this is more fun than the John Wick movies, which mm-hmm. are a lot of fun, but can take themselves a little too seriously and be a little too stoic. Uh, this is definitely like, when I say I want a movie to have fun with its concept, this does that. This does exactly what I want. It knows when to take stuff seriously, but it's not, oh, woe is me. It's just, I don't know. It's just a cool movie. All right. Uh, and and if you get a chance, I recommend seeing it in theaters uh, while it's still there. I will take your word on it. Well, let's go ahead now and talk about Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead. So, little preface, I had never seen Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead, which was his uh-huh. big film debut. Yeah. Um, he, I think he kind of came from the world of music videos and, and mm-hmm. uh, advertisement and that kind of stuff prior to he that. He did like some Soul Asylum videos and stuff. Sure. Um, and then 2004 rolls around, he makes... Dawn of the Dead, big hit movie, um, written by James Gunn, an early James mm-hmm. Gunn screenplay when he was just kind mm-hmm. of a toiling screenwriter in Hollywood, and uh, along with a few other movies, um, specifically 28 Days Later, which came out, I think, a year or two before, and uh, Shaun of the Dead, which I think came out the same year. Um, that was kind of the one, two, three punch that sort of revitalized the zombie genre in a big way. Yeah, in a big way. Yeah, that pretty much dominated the 2000s. Um, I would say maybe peaked around World War Z, uh, the first few seasons of Walking Dead, whatever. Mm-hmm. But I'd never seen it. So I went back, I watched the movie, and then I had a few days till we were recording. So the, the only way I could fit it in my schedule was to immediately watch Army of the Dead right after. How was that for you? So I didn't know that they weren't connected. I kind, I maybe I sort of remember reading that, like, don't worry about watching Dawn of the Dead. But I wanted to anyways, because even if it wasn't a direct sequel, I'm sure, like, I want to see, like, his, how he deals with this genre. I think it... I, I think it was a good idea. I'm I'm glad you saw it. And Dawn I wanted to see it. You know, I mean, it's a movie yeah. I've been meaning to see for a long time. Even people who don't like Zack Snyder movies usually say, this Dawn of the Dead is pretty cool. And I would agree. I'm, I'm glad you saw Dawn of the Dead because I, I would not have recommended watching them back to back. It was a I, lot. It was a lot. I, I mean, that was like six hours uh, of movie. It came, I think it ultimately came out to four hours again altogether. But are you sure? Because Army of the Dead fucking felt like four yeah, hours. Well, yeah, we'll get to well, that. We're not. We're not. We're not there. <laughs> we're yet. not there yet. So, okay. So the movies aren't connected. If you really are looking for it, you could you could build a fan theory or two. But I don't think I, I don't think so. I think well, I guess there's way it could be connected yeah. but I, in this it feels like this is a very different right universe. it's more like it's more like how return of the living dead is a non-official sequel to uh night of the living dead so in 
army of the dead. We see at the beginning of the movie an army caravan heading towards Las Vegas who gets in a huge accident and they have this big payload in the back that they're transporting. They don't know what it is, but it escapes, whatever it is. We find out it's a zombie. Um, and this is essentially Patient Zero who heads right into Las Vegas, which creates a zombie mayhem. Now, there's a big, long intro music video Zack snyder thing going on that kind of fills us in on what happens between this event and the plot of the movie, um, mm-hmm. which, you know, to his credit, I, I like that we did that rather than having a thousand flashbacks or having way too much exposition. Sure. Yeah. Um, and, and other than a couple moments of ridiculousness, which are kind of fun, uh, it's it's pretty efficient. Um, yeah, it gets all the stuff it, out. We get to we learn about our main it, characters and and it tells like a whole little mini story oh, within it. Right. Um, so I'm I guess I'm a little fuzzy on the scope of this zombie outbreak. Is it just limited to Las Vegas? Because we also hear in the background on the TV of like zombie wars that came and went and, uh, you know, but basically wherever, whatever yes. it is at this point in the story, it is contained to Las Vegas. It, so from my understanding, it only infected Vegas. The mm-hmm. zombie wars were about like trying to isolate Vegas from like, the rest, the rest of, the, of the the country, right? It was it was like a little mini Vegas outbreak, but it was so bad that the entire city was lost. Yes, so they had to quarantine it with like all these shipping containers. Um, yes, and it's essentially and, a lost city. Uh, yeah, no, no one can get in and out except for like people like smugglers sneaking in and out yeah. for various things. Right, exactly. Uh we run into Dave Batista who came from the city sort of fought his way out and now he is uh a burger flipper um assassin <laughs> living on the outskirts of this of this zone and he is brought in and then we mentioned this at the earlier in the podcast but basically he's brought in by this rich gazillionaire who has money in one of the casinos, and uh, he want he wants to put together a team to, you know, of super zombie killers to get in there and get his money and get out. And mm-hmm. he he puts together sort of an Ocean's Eleven style heist team with a ton of characters, and a lot of them over a lot of fun. Um, Dave yeah. Dave Batista plays leader. We also have Tig Notaro who plays the. Uh, um, the uh, helicopter operator who's supposed to fly them out. If do, do you know the story about Tignataro? I know that she's a comedian. Oh, okay. So this is interesting to me. This is really cool that you, I, I was I was curious to see if someone who didn't know the backstory would notice about this so, movie. Re- yeah. So originally, this part was cast and performed by Chris D'Elia. Uh Chris D'Elia, Oh was has been hashtag canceled yeah uh because uh uh he was a creeper on instagram yeah yeah and like grooming these young girls and just generally inappropriate behavior yes uh so Zack snyder cut him from the movie and digitally replaced him with tignataro digitally the whole time all of Tignataro's stuff, she filmed by herself. She never interacted with any of the other cast members okay well that's done fairly well I could no- I I noticed because I knew, but I also was like, 
this is pretty seamless. And and I wondered if someone who didn't know the story would notice. Uh, there's there's a couple times when you see like some kind of weird digital blur around her. Yeah, but for the most, it. I remember people saying part, like the green like, screen effect behind her, but I thought they were just complaining about the green screen effects, not about something specific. Yeah, so I I do think that is one. Uh, I'll say interesting thing about this movie. Well, it's a far more interesting casting as far as I'm concerned. And not just because, you know, it's kind of hard just to deal with Crystalia at the moment. But also, like, but, Tig Notaro in that role is just more interesting. Exactly. And and uh, and because of that, I think she really stands out as a part of the cast. And yeah. uh, I definitely think she's one of the highlights of the movie because... It's it's not someone you would normally think of for a role like this, mm-hmm. but she's actually pretty perfect. Um, so we also have I'm going to slaughter this person's name, Matthias Weigoffer as the 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 German the German lockpick safecracker. Uh, yeah, safecracker who is um not maybe the the most alpha of the bunch, um, but <laughs> he has he's kind of you know learns learns his way along the way. Uh, Nora Arnesder, who plays Lily the Coyote, she she's sort of one of these people who has to go in every once in a while to make trades and good, find goods and s- small rescues when they can. Um, and she sort of helps them get them you know to the to the hotel. Uh, Amari Hardwick is as Vanderho. He's he's on the team. There's a lot of people on this team. Um, and then there's also Ella Purnell, who plays Dave Bautista's uh, useless and horrible daughter. And I hate her, and she <laughs> ruins the movie. So, uh, um, and, and Theo Rossi, people know him. He's he's a pretty well known character actor. Yeah, it's a yeah, it's a huge it's cast. It's Raul Raul Castillo, Huma Qureshi. Garrett Dillahunt, uh, who who plays uh, a guy from the the billionaires camp, who's kind of keeping an eye on them. Yeah, Ryle like, Castillo, who was uh, a character from the television show Looking, which I liked a lot, and I like his character here. Oh, interesting. Um, uh, yeah, I liked him too. So I think, like any Zack Snyder movie, I'm gonna approach this from uh, there's stuff I liked, mm-hmm. and there was stuff I really fucking hated. Mm-hmm. Uh. Now, I know that you have opinions, pretty strong yes, ones, g- judging from your uh, your Twitter teases. Um, I'm going to say that I was with it, for the most part, for a while. Even with all of the um, annoying Snyderisms and stuff. And there's a little bit less of it here than certainly uh, Justice League, which was like nothing but Zack Snyder cliches. Yeah, it's literally just like... It's just... Him, it's like somebody making fun of Zack Snyder. Yeah. Whereas this film, he does cool it with the slow mo. It's used more kind of appropriately. He also shot the movie, which maybe wasn't the best idea because his new thing that he's in love with now is racking and pulling focus. And so he does that in literally every shot. He tries to do an effect with focus that makes about 75% of the movie blurry. Um, okay, I was, I, I thought that, I no, I assumed that was a... It's a, a stylistic thing. thing that he's doing. He just does it, like any stylistic thing he does, all the time. And yeah. so it just ends up kind of be, becoming numbing by about the 35% mark of the, of the runtime. But I was kind of into the, like, the structure. I was like, okay, Ocean's Eleven, zombies, super zombies, okay. 
Interesting. We'll see where that goes. And then, you know, they get to the hotel. I'm still, I'm along for the ride because I feel comfortable in that structure. And then characters start to make ridiculous and stupid decisions that make zero sense, either on a plot level or on a common sense level. And this is goes well beyond like characters in horror movies just not making sense. This so, goes this goes to we are forcing characters to make stupid decisions to put them put them in danger for no reason. Remember when I said last uh it was literally the last episode we were talking about um those who wish me dead and I was talking about mm-hmm. how one of the things I like about that writer and director is he has smart characters doing doing smart things and just trying to outsmart each other. Yeah. And it's it's really cool to see like just people doing their best and, mm-hmm. and that not and it not being somebody fucking up that propels the plot along. This is the exact opposite right. of that. This is and here's the thing. You get that from the very fucking beginning. This there's this cold open uh where Dude starts the fucking zombie apocalypse by crashing into a fucking military truck from getting a blowjob. Right. So that's the level we're at here. Um, And then these military guys who are like, no, they're fucking taking this dangerous quarantine item. Uh, They radio back to base and the base is just like, get the fuck away from there. And they're all like standing around and walking towards it. And it's like, Okay, first of all, that's not how the military works at all. They would have fucking bugged out and blown that shit the fuck up, right? Like they would have like that just wouldn't have happened. Right. And I mean they to, were their, so, to their defense, they don't know what the payload is. But that's not the point. Uh my point is these are the worst soldiers that have ever existed. Because they do, they don't follow orders, mm-hmm. and they just die. Like it just, yeah. So the cold. I, I get where me. you're going with the with. I accept the cold open because a, it's sort of played for laughs. It's not taken seriously, and it's a zombie movie. It's you know the sure. the the patient zero thing is always something kind of cliched and weird and stupid like this. But- I mean, so in the stand, literally the world ends because the guy doesn't close the gate before he leaves. But <laughs> they, but it's justified by like character reasons. Like right. it, it, it's it could be stupid if it's filmed a certain way, and and that's kind of my problem with this movie mm-hmm. is I like the concept. I actually like a lot about this. Is yeah. Uh, I like that it's a zombie movie in a different context mm-hmm. that, than the typical zombie movie. I like that it's not totally end of the world apocalypse i think it's interesting that it's like just one city that's been quarantined and like yeah uh even though his fucking political commentary is pretty gross and lazy right i think it's luckily i was i was real nervous by that especially there's like sean spicer and and yeah and uh donna brazil playing themselves on tv yeah luckily that's not a huge yeah, factor i think that was sh- shoved in to like fit the moment mm, or whatever i don't know man because there kind of is some weird th- he's like trying to have some political commentary he's with trying like, the refugee he's trying and- but luckily not trying very hard and and he gives up on it pretty fast yeah uh 
But that's, I mean, and that's not even my big problem with the movie. No. Although I did have a problem with that. That could have been a big problem. But like I said, I think he like, he he makes some gestures towards being re- uh, like relevant and zeitgeisty. And then he's like, yeah, but, but let's just do zombie. Zombie bank heist. Yeah. And I really like that, that idea, that idea of, well, fuck. Yeah. There's a billion dollars in Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. We have access to this insane vault with money like who you know it made sense to me and i i I like the premise of the movie i like the Mm -hmm. setup it's kind of Um, video gamey and like the way that it's the set pieces are designed and like the idea of like you have this thing you have to go get and you have to get out of the city like the structure of it could definitely be a video game but it works for what it is yeah i mean not the movie as a whole but the the my problem isn't the premise yeah i like the premise my problem is the the pull off. The the so you have characters that are doing making the dumbest choices. Yes. They're supposed to be experts. Uh and it's just like little things that that kind of end up ta- you know, you know how one zombie isn't a threat. Mm-hmm. It's a whole group of zombies that take you down. Uh, it, that's this movie. It's not one flaw. It's all the millions of little flaws that mm. that break this movie down. Death by a thousand uh, cuts. Yeah, I, yeah. I like Dave Bautista. Solid casting for this. Let's make him not have any fun or charisma whatsoever. Let's make him the most uh, blah, boring bullshit. The the fucking daughter is intolerable. That whole subplot ne- should have not been in this movie. No, that's another thing. But that's a like thing, a t- though. They introduce that subplot because she she does nothing and can do nothing. Um, she you know she's not in. Uh, everyone and we're else not is- saying that. And be- before anybody gets there's on their a ton horse, of we're not saying that because they, she's like a woman or anything. There's a ton of strong there female tons characters. Tons of very capable there's women strong, in this yes, movie. Ton of strong it, female characters in this movie. She's not one of them. But her whole reason for wanting to go in is because she's a nurse in the outskirts of the city. Somebody she's taking care of for some reason went back into the city, and now she's lost, and they want to go get her back. So she basically is a stowaway into the mission, but she, comp- from the beginning, compromises the entire mission. It, it, the whole thing is just this big, really convoluted excuse just to get his daughter in the quarantine zone with him. And like, there are so many other ways they could have done that. So that's another thing. This movie is 45 minutes too long. Yeah. Uh, it, it is... Just like every Zack Snyder movie, I was going through his catalog, and the only one that even comes close to an hour and a half is The Guardians of Gahul. <laughs> oh, well, Dawn of the Dead, I think, is an hour 40. Yes. It is a it is an acceptable length. 300 is just under two hours, yeah. so sure. Uh, but literally after 300, I don't think he has anything that's under at least two and a half hours. And... This movie does not need to know that premise bank heist and zombie apocalypse. If, if this could have been cut down to 90 minutes, I probably would have noticed the flaws a lot less because as the movie goes on, there's multiple moments throughout the movie where the movie just kind of stops dead in its tracks. Um, absolutely. For, uh, these like ridiculous 
conversation set pieces, which I don't even know why Zack Snyder's even interested in that. But, you know, the, he has these, like, scenes where Dave Bautista's arguing with the daughter when they should, when they have, like, you know, there's a literal ticking time bomb. That's the other element we didn't talk about. Uh, they plan on nuking the city, and they have to get out of there before uh, the president decides to, to, to nuke uh, the city. Sure, yeah, so they're so, on a clock. And, the, and uh, they'll... The, the, and there's like, you know, impending danger everywhere around them. And they'll literally stop to have these petty arguments. Well, and and from the get-go, like from them stepping foot into Las Vegas. Yeah. So there's the cold open, which I thought was really dumb. Then there's the credit sequence, which I was like, oh, this is actually like pretty compelling. Like he, he managed to tell a whole story without using words, like... Uh, uh, I actually thought, and, and that's an, uh, another comparison to Dawn of the Dead is like one of the things people like always talk about is the opening sequence to Dawn of the Dead and like how he sort of portrays the zombie apocalypse progressing. And so I could see that the, he was like, I'm trying to kind of outdo that. Right. Yeah. And I was like, cool. Like this is him trying. This is him like, this is him doing what he's good at and conveying story through you know visual yeah language like he's good at because of his background with music videos and stuff he's he's good at setting up a scene and showing you what's going on what he's not good at is fucking scripts and characters and all the other bullshit yeah and pacing for some reason in this movie he wants to add all the other bullshit and Ooh. i'm like why the the setup is so fun this is Honestly, one of the reasons I wanted to review Nobody was because it's the exact opposite of this movie. It's taking a fairly simple idea and just like, let's have fun with it and really having fun with it and like delving into the smallest details and like making them important. And this is like, let's have a really fun idea and just bog it down with bloat and bullshit and garbage. So there's this scene where he's like assembling his crew, and that's fun. Uh, you know, any I'm I'm a sucker for any good here's my crew kind of montage. Right. Uh you get to meet all these great characters. Mm-hmm. And then they go into this quarantine zone, and it's really fucking boring. <laughs> they're just like they're they so they built in this there's the whole smart zombie thing, which is like just ripping off of Game of Thrones. Sure. I mean, here's the thing. This movie rips on a ton of stuff. This movie's... It's, I mean, there's nothing about the movie that's original. That's fine. And the idea of, yeah, of smart it, zombies has been teased since Day of the Dead. That's true. Uh, in in this particular case, they are they are very Games of Thrones-y, though, because there's, like, the White Walkers, and then there's the others, and... It, but whatever. Uh, that's not again. That's not even my problem. Uh, you shove enough pulp stuff together. I'm I'm for it. The bank heist, fun. Zombies, fun. Smart zombies, sure. Uh, it's got a little bit of Escape from New York kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like Escape from Las Vegas. Uh, all of this stuff I like. Mm-hmm. It's just the way it's thrown together. Like the action, I thought was incredibly boring. Um, uh, again. The exact opposite of Nobody, which was, like, meticulously choreographed. This is very, like, muddy sequences. Uh, They're in a dark hallway, and you just sort of see gunfire going. You don't really know what's going on. And then they get away from it and then just talk for 
20 minutes. And then there's another incredibly boring action sequence. And I just, by the end of it, didn't fucking care. Yeah, I mean, I didn't, I didn't think the action was that bad. Um, it wasn't like particularly standout in the choreography. Some scenes more than others. I think he's better at when it's mono y mono when he has like the yeah. head zombie fighting Dave Batista or whoever. Um, and I didn't even hate some of that stuff. Like, like some of I like thought- the hand to hand combat stuff. I think works and. But yeah, there's a lot of like crowded elevators or crowded hallways or crowded whatever. That My problem is just this movie takes it just takes forever to get to the goods. Well, it's 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 constantly it's constantly in fits and starts because he's just really really bad at pacing and yeah. not a particularly good writer either. So a lot of the dialogue isn't great. Um, and then so there'll be these scenes where, like I said, the movie just stops dead in its tracks for these characters to talk to each other, but they're not saying anything particularly interesting. And then, yeah, for me, I was, again, I was willing to deal with all of those flaws because I was like, you know, I want to see how this heist gets pulled off or doesn't. Whatever. I'm still excited for that. And I think that stuff, the safe stuff, is all fun and works the way it should. Yeah. Um, well, I, I, And I like so, those characters uh, enough and those actors enough. The casting is good enough that I think that it, it, it saves a lot of this. Um, I agree. I, I think in particular there was a sort of a subplot with Omari Hardwick uh, uh, as Vanderho- mm-hmm. Van, Vanderhey and uh, the, the German safecracker, Matthias Sch- – you already tried to – Dieter. Matthias Schwagerhofer. Yes. Um, and I, they worked mm-hmm. for me because uh, there's actually like a character arc there. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, one of them is very macho. One of them is very not. And they sort of find this like mutual respect for each other along the way. To me, that is the best part of this movie. For sure. Because it's like just letting these characters interact and do stuff. Right. And through them doing action, you learn about the characters. Like, that's how stories work. Right, exactly. Um, and and then I think the, the movie sort of falls apart towards the third act once they get to the safe because then the characters start to go in these different directions and they break apart and they have, like, you know, B-plots and C-plots and stuff going on in the and city. And D-plots and E-plots. And that's when the whole all these threads come untied and the whole movie is just a raging mess for the last uh, third of the movie with characters making inexplicable decisions uh, that, I mean, honestly just ruined it for me. I mean, I had a hard time giving a, giving a shit about any of them, you know, all the most interesting characters get killed off. And then, then you're left with the least interesting ones. And then, the way they even decide to go about things doesn't make sense. The, the 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 ticking time clock aspect of it becomes like meaningless because you can tell they're just like stopping the clock to let action happen. Yeah, there's a there's a point when the <laughs> when Batista is literally like, "We have twenty minutes to to figure this out," and, and the movie's like forty five like, minutes left. Yeah, yeah, and I'm like, "What?" <laughs> uh, and that that's the thing. All this. And then all of the plot resolves, 
And there's still like a fucking half hour of this movie. I'm like, yeah, what the there, fuck? There's, is a, there's like an epilogue at the end that I've heard a lot of people complain about. It's to me, I was so whatever by that point that I was. I didn't, it, I, didn't, honestly, I wasn't even that offended by that. I was just like, I, I didn't even hate the epilogue because it was least a, it was at least dealing with a character that I sort of cared about at a point in time. Right, exactly. So that's my biggest issue with it is that. It's paced terribly. It's uh, the dialogue's kind of clunky and bad, and then the last third of the movie just goes completely off the rails. Now there's some some uh, issues I had before that point, just with some of the conceits that are in here. We talked about the super zombies. I don't have a problem with the idea of super zombies. They are these ones are particularly idiosyncratic and not very zombie-like, in my opinion. They almost behave more like vampires, but whatever. It's kind of... I, I mean, when the when the one motherfucker comes out with a helmet, which I actually like that idea, I was like, <laughs> oh, like, that was one moment where I was like, oh, fuck! Right. Like, that's kind of cool! Which by then, I, I, by then I, would just, I had already accepted it, but, you know, kind of learning about them. But the issue is, we have tradi- but I, traditional yeah. zombies as well. And I, maybe it was set up to be a surprise or something. I'm not exactly sure why they why it was written this way. But they go in and they're like, see all of these piles of dead bodies? Those are the shamblers. Those are the slow zombies. We're not worried about them. Unless it rains, which it's not going to. Um, we don't have- <laughs> yeah, that was a weird thing. Like, they get up when it rains and then- And then it doesn't. That yeah. never happens. I was expecting like a sprinkler to go off or something. Um, yeah. There was- that. That, that is- that is emblematic of my entire problem with this movie. There's all of this stuff, but none of it, none of it actually matters. Well, exactly. So so then we're really just dealing with the zoop, the super zombies. There's a couple scenes with shamblers in the hotel, but for the most part, the big threat is the super zombies. So yeah, because they're less like zombies, they're I think they're just fucking orcs. They're, they're yeah, like right they're like ghouls of- or orcs, they're whatever. But it uh it just it just seemed weird to me. It's like why even have it be zombies. Have it be zombies. Or why even write in the Shamblers? Like, you know, they, I mean. Why not have them all be super zombies? Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, it, it, like, it was it was just a just a strange um, that's this non sequitur. Fucking, that's this whole fucking movie to me. Like, it, it it's filled with so many ideas. Yeah. That's the thing. There's so many ideas. And they're not all good. And for some reason, the movie focuses on some of them that are particularly bad, i.e. the subplot with the daughter, um, which this movie didn't need that. Uh, Also, I just, like, I'm bummed that they didn't let Dave Bautista have, like, a little bit of fun in this movie. Like, he... Yeah, I mean, I still think that given what he's there to do, I think that he's, he elevates the material. I think he's... He's fine. I mean, I wasn't, not. like, watching him going... I didn't think he was slumming it here. I think he was doing what he was there to do. And I think if you had had a lesser actor in that part, it really would have been a problem. I agree. There's actually moments, uh, to Dave Bautista's credit, with very crappy dialogue yeah. that he works really hard to sell. And I'm, I'm like... Huh? Everybody does, including shitty daughter. I actually feel really bad for that actress because she's kind of getting attacked online right now because the part that was written is terrible. Oh, it's, that's yeah. That's she's kind of getting rose teakud right now on online. Oh, 
That's not and true. I feel I feel bad for her, but that yeah, she it's, she's not a bad actress. No, it's, she's doing exactly it's a bad character. She's doing exactly what she was written to do, which is to annoy the audience. Overall, again, it's it's like every Zack Snyder movie, basically since Dawn of the Dead. Yeah, it's so full of so much excess and blow, and no one just tells him no. Yeah. No one tells him no. Well, especially no one... Netflix. Like, yeah, 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 uh, and that's a problem because I think this could have been a, a a pretty fun, decent little like genre pulpy thing, but it, it's just so fucking bloated with rat ass garbage <laughs> that I just like it. Put that on the poster. Win... <laughs> so the fucking movie would bloated. win me over for a minute. Like, you know, yeah. there'd be a 10-minute sequence that would win me over, and I'd be like, okay, I'm back in. And then a 20-minute bullshit thing, and I'm like, and so, I'm out. I'm a little bit more conflicted. You know, we've, we've, we've expressed a lot of feelings. I'm a little bit more conflicted about it than I think you are. I don't think it's good all the way, um, but I think there is a lot to like. And I think if you're grading on the Zack Snyder curve, it comes out better than than if you're grading it otherwise. So I think it just my, I think it just feels that way because it's it's not IP. It's not it's not something with source material you're familiar with. Neither was Sucker Punch and that movie was Dead Cat Parts. <laughs> I didn't see that one. So, I don't know. I I think this one's I mean, this one has a dead cat and I think you can smell its parts. Uh I'm oh, that it. was a pretty cool. That was a pretty cool scene. I will say, at least he set up fucking Zombie Tiger and paid off Zombie Tiger. Yeah, I I will give him credit for that because I was for sure like this fucking Zombie. See, Tiger there's things in the movie off. that like that that I think, and I, again, I like that structure. I like the bank heist. I like the characters. I like the actors. Um, and some of the set pieces I think are okay. Uh, yeah, the cinematography is weird and not good a lot of the time but and the and like i said the last third of the movie doesn't work for me at all and pretty much ruins it but grading it on the zach snyder curve i'm giving it a c plus graving grading it just as a general like action horror film it's like a c minus you're you're yeah you definitely are this is unusual usually usually i'm good cop yeah, usually bad, i'm the hater uh, I I give this a D plus. This is and that's on both. Oh, that's I mean yeah. That's that's just everything. This is a D plus movie. I I think there's some good ideas here with a solid editor. Maybe there there's maybe there's a movie here. Mm-hmm. I, again, like all of his movies, there's a decent movie in here somewhere. Uh, but what I watched was more. I think more bad than good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's a bummer because I did like the setup. I did like the characters. I did like, I wanted to like this. I w- I saw the trailer and I was like, this is what Zack Snyder should be directing. This is exactly the his thing right. he should be doing. And I think he kind of ruined it. I think, I think it's a shame because I, I think this could have been a really cool, fun movie. It, 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 they marketed it like, this is the movie Zack Snyder's trying to prove uh, all the people, all of his online haters wrong. Like he can't right. make a fun, yeah, uh, a short. This is like when Michael movie. Bay made uh, Pain and Gain, <laughs> yeah, which just kind of but, proved 
his Michael Bayness even more? I think that's the case with Zack Snyder. It just it doubles down on all Zack Snyder's problems, and mm-hmm. and I think if it had a couple script passes and someone else with Final Cut, well, it could have. I'll tell good. you this right now: if this had been written by James Gunn, like uh, Dawn of the Dead was, we'd be having a completely different conversation. Yeah. So. I mean, coming back to that, coming back full circle. Yes. Uh, what did you think of Dawn of the Dead? I like it. You know, and there's some people, I think, retrospectively, because Zack Snyder became Zack Snyder, who have gone and said, like, oh, that movie's reactionary, and it's, like, totally misses the point of Romero's film, and blah, blah, blah. It's not really... Well, I, I think there were some people that were, were always... Some people were just upset that they remade Dawn of the Dead. Right, because at the time, always, not everything in the world was being remade. You're never going to win them over. They're always no. going to be mad that this is a remake of Dawn of the I Dead. I think they'd be less mad now than they were in 2004. But uh, I think, and I, also this seems kind of funny, but one of the big controversies of that film was fast zombies. <laughs> like now that's so whatever. But that's, at the time... Yeah, that's like the formula. Yeah, not at the time... Uh, at the time, people were like, what? That's bullshit. Zombies can do anything. Um, so, I mean, you know, he really doubled yeah. down on that with the with the super zombies and the cyborg zombies. We didn't even talk about that. Yeah. What? Yeah. We, I, what? But anyway, I, I, I actually think his his, you know, especially if you're watching it now, it's very 2004. There's like some like like everything is ultra contrasty in the way that movies yeah, were at that like- time. Um, and, uh, but it has a really cool cast. I mean, like Phil Dumfrey from Modern <laughs> Family plays like an- Bing Rain. Bing Rain. Uh, yeah. Um. Kai Pfeiffer, Michael Kelly. Yeah. yeah. There's some really good act. Here, here's the thing. I still maintain it's his best movie. Oh yeah. Uh, but by far. I think- easily. People don't talk about it, but in this way, but at the time- there was just as much zombie happening in video games as there was in film, and that that's changed true. things a lot too. Anyway, we're yeah, getting off true. track. Uh, Army of the Dead. I I don't I don't think it's his worst movie, but that doesn't make it a good movie either. Yeah, uh, I don't think it's his worst either, but I don't think I've enjoyed a Zack Snyder movie like like straight up just thoroughly enjoyed one since Three Hundred. Mm. Yeah, Cool was okay for what it was. I didn't see that one. Yeah. But. I mean, it's kind of boring, but it looked nice. Um, okay, let's go ahead and talk about something completely different. Uh, 1989's Tie Me Up, Tie Me Down. Um, it's a Spanish film. is directed by, written and directed by Pedro Almodovar. Tame. Yeah, that is the original uh, Spanish title. Tell me a little bit, what, what is this movie about? <laughs> yeah, so uh, Antonio Banderas plays Ricky. And he's in some kind of institution, uh, some kind of mental hospital. Mm-hmm. He is released from from this mental hospital. He uh, judge has found that he, you know, whatever issues he had to get him there, he's he's worked on and gotten past. So he's released. After he's released, he has this obsession with this actress who was a former porn star and um and addict drug addict uh who he had like a one night stand with a couple years ago <laughs> um who he's obsessed with so he decides that he's going to kidnap her and kidnap her and 
and force her to fall in love with him as as in love with him as uh he is with her right that's it that's his plan um and i mean that's that's basically the movie yeah yeah, that's uh, that's the general setup. We see we get to see a little bit at the beginning of the movie of the, the the final day of filming this movie yeah. that she's on, which is her first like legitimate non pornographic film, mm-hmm. um, which is like this hokey ghost movie, I guess. <laughs> it's, a, it's like a like a Spanish horror movie, right? Um, yeah, yeah, like very. Uh, I don't know. I could melodrama see that. kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I I mean. It was supposed to be a slasher, but became more of a romance. I, mm-hmm. I could see that. I could see Giallo working on something like that. For sure. And and I, <laughs> and I think that uh, we see or notice parallels between what's happening. Whenever there's a movie in a movie, and it's written by the guy who made the movie, yeah. the movie in the pay, movie, pay attention, pay attention to, to what's them. happening in the movie within the movie, because it matters. Um, yeah, because it's like a monster that she's afraid of, a slasher killer, but then she ends up falling in love with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and yeah, so also on top of that, so she has just wrapped this filming. Uh, the director of it uh, is also in love with her mm-hmm. and obsessed with her. And her sister is working as uh, some kind of production assistant. Um, yeah. And he kind of gets the idea that she probably got her this role or something like that. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, there are people that are, like, looking for her throughout this. Like, yeah. at one point, the director's like, well, this movie's not done. We have to film another scene just so he can see her because she, like, wasn't at the rap party. Yeah. Because she was fucking kidnapped, dude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so I saw this movie as a double feature at the Arrow with uh oh so you have seen this before you son of a bitch yeah i didn't say i didn't um uh, i hadn't seen it for a while so i did rewatch it for this um but i saw it as a double feature with the cook the thief her wife and her lover um okay which both came out in 89 both foreign exports uh the the cook is from uh from england and this movie is from spain um and they were both Movies that were well-known at the time for being NC-17 and making that somewhat um, accessible to, like, a normal audience or or further pushing that rating. NC-17 kind of never happened. It sort of it died after Showgirls. Um, which the fact that this movie is NC-17 it's, it's is hilarious quaint. to me now. You want to know some of the reasons? Well, so I mean, I, there's there, there's specifically one scene that I'm sure. Yeah, there's a long sex scene in the film that's, and if you if you go back if about. you go back and watch the uh, the Kirby Dick documentary, um, uh, this film is not yet rated. He does this whole thing, this whole bit on how whenever a sex scene focuses more on the woman's pleasure than the men, it tends to get a harder R or a harder rating. Like they have to cut right. more mm-hmm. female org- orgasms than male orgasms. And this is definitely like goes beyond the three thrust rule, or whatever. right? Yeah, there's plenty. It goes way well beyond that. And the other thing is for scenes of women peeing. So there's like so. Wait, so not even the thing with the scuba diver. Well, I'm sure that didn't help. But so so, which is like the first funny, big moment of nudity in the film. But 
funny story. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have seen some of this movie before. Oh, when I was uh, very young, uh, uh, like not not very young, but you know, coming into my adolescence. Okay, and I very vividly remember the bathtub scene, and that did things to me. <laughs> and then I watch it now, and I'm like, oh my god, this is like the tamest shit. Right. This is like it's like it's hilarious to me that this is NC seventeen. I like in eighty nine. It probably in by today's standards probably wouldn't be, but I thought for sure it was because of the bathtub scene, and if you had cut that out, this would have been an an R. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because there's I mean there's really only one sex scene. A big one, yeah. I guess there's some other nudity, like when like the because there's a scene where like the director's watching her in the porno, but like right, it's it's not as explicit. Um, and I don't know. And Pedro, up to this point, had made some fairly edgy films. This one was kind of him, I think, kind of attempting to break into a slightly more mainstream thing. Like it's it's. I mean, given what the movie's about, this is basically a romantic comedy. And 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 a little bit of like a screwball comedy, yeah. Um, it's 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 a weird one. It's a very European one. Yes, it's it's got a lot of elements of like a comedy of errors, mm. a lot of like uh, misunderstandings and people in certain places at certain times, which causes shenanigans, right? Um, but you know, eroticized and with some some uh, elements of bondage kink. Yeah, yeah. So I'm interested to hear your thoughts on it, given that I've already seen it. Like, what was your, I mean, I guess there's the moment where you realized you had watched it for nudity as a teenager. But yeah. other than that, uh, how did you take I it really, in with the story? I literally remember nothing about the movie other than the bathtub scene. Right. Uh, <laughs> which, again, was very influential on me. Very, very <laughs> influential. I mean, honestly... I never thought I would know what movie that scene came from. So this was sort of a big deal for me. I was like, oh, full circle. Like I could have died and and my story arc would be complete. Right. Um, so this movie's very 1989 and very, uh, you know, Spanish speaking 1989. But uh, it's fun. Like, I, I think that, um, uh, I mean, you can see why Antonio Banderas became a fucking superstar yeah. for this, or after this. He I mean, he's young, he's gorgeous, he's really good. It just, yeah, makes a lot of sense. Um, although Victoria Abril was really good, too. Mm-hmm. And I think she shows so up you, in later in some of his later films as well. You sold this to me as kind of a screwball comedy, and maybe it's the lens of 2021, but there was a lot of shit, especially early on, that I'm like, well, that's not fucking funny. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, there's, some, you know, some serious domestic abuse. Like, there's some... I would I would give this a trigger warning. There is violence against women. You know, there is explicit scenes of being held against your will. Although, you know, this is a little different because it's not played for horror it's played for romance so uh kind of and i wonder if it's i think i I think uh, he's having i i mean 
I mean, yes, the the horrific moments are played for horror. Well, I, I think he's kind of flipping it, right? So Ennio Marconi does the score. Um, and in the beginning of the film, there's this very Hitchcockian, almost psycho-like score when we're following Banderas yes. and he's stalking her and he first, you know. Yeah, I thought this was going to go a different way for sure. Right. And I think that he's purposefully playing with the audience's expectations of what the movie is and the subject matter and where it goes. Yes, I, I agree with you. And and I think that is done to good effect because mm. by the end of it, I was like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, some of that I think is a cultural divide. Some of that I think is a, a chronological divide. Um, yeah. But I will say, unlike... After watching Army of the Dead, uh, it was nice to see characters do things for reasons. <laughs> uh, um, also, this movie shot really well. Yeah, it's gorgeous. This movie has some gorgeous cinematography. Yeah. Uh, and the, the use of color in all of his movies. How he yes. purposely color blocks everything. And, and you know, I mean... Just, I mean and I would say this of a lot of things about his work. Of and I've not seen everything he's done. He's made a lot of movies. I've seen maybe five of them. But he he likes to paint literally with broad brush strokes. So yes. his characters uh, are broad, his dialogue is broad, and then the literal use of color and his sets are, you know, purposefully artifice, artificial. Like you are you know you're watching a movie the whole time you're watching the movie. Yeah, it almost um it doesn't have the same aesthetic as Wes Anderson, mm -hmm. but it it kind of uses color and set in a similar way. It's a, um, it's high camp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, yeah. Uh, but I mean, overall, I enjoyed this movie. Uh, other than some stuff that made me very uncomfortable, um, I think it's you know for the most part it's pretty fun. It's pretty. Um, it's lighter than you think, right. and it, I, and, you know, I think because he's painting with such broad strokes, that does kind of help with the language barrier, that does kind of help with the cultural barrier, mm -hmm. um, and, again, the actors are really fucking good, mm -hmm. like, uh, uh, Victoria Abril, I, the, you know, when her character kind of turns, I... There's a moment where in the movie where she doesn't know what she's going to do and I don't know what she's going to do. Mm -hmm. And that's really like that's a really cool thing as a viewer to watch to be like, oh, shit, like, sh I, you know. Well, there's a moment in the movie. There's a few moments in the movie where the power dynamics shift between these two. Yeah, I mean, that's the whole movie. Yeah, that's, that's the, the point of thing. the movie. <laughs> it is, uh, yeah, that's where all the dramatic tension comes from, is he, like, you know, breaks into her apartment, ties her up, like, sh for most of it, she's trying to figure out ways to escape. Um, yeah. Uh, but I just mean, like, the character arcs were not predictable, in, in, mm -hmm. but, but they were believable, and I thought, and I really liked that, even... Even kind of the ending, again, it went a very different direction than I thought it would, but I was like, sure, I buy this. <laughs> you you do by the sort of by the way it ends. Uh, you yeah, you kind of go on a like a whole journey with these characters, and it's it's not always supposed to be believable, but in the world of the movie it is. Yes, yeah. Uh and there's also just this this really fun scene at the end. 
in, in the car where there's just it's kind of a Wayne's World moment <laughs> uh, where they're just like singing the song. That right. I and that scene went on way longer than I expected it to. But I was like, this is great. There's like, a few really fun kind of musical sequences in the film. There's a, the sister has a whole dance number in the middle at the rap party. Yeah, That's filmed really yeah. cool. I mean, he's just going full on MGM musical at that moment. Yeah, that, that was a really well shot. Uh, again, I mean, this whole movie is well shot. Right. But that was a particularly like... And again, this fucking director where he's... And honestly, so that's kind of an interesting The character thing too. of the director. Like, yes. The, yeah. the, not the director of the movie. Um, the director of the... The character of the director of the movie within the movie. Right. <laughs> um, so it is kind of interesting viewing it from, uh, uh, you know, kind of a pre-feminism lens. Because you have these two characters, these two strong male characters that are kind of like different spectrums of toxic masculinity. Sure. Um, uh, in this, the character of the director is bound in a wheelchair, but because of that, his, uh, his libido has increased. Or he says um, it has. He's, it, he's overcompensating at the very least. Uh, I don't know. I think, I mean, sure. Um, I, I don't, I don't think it was, uh, a th- an act because everything he said was like, was uh, motivated by sex. Yeah. Like in, in there's a particular scene where he's dealing with the sister mm-hmm. um, after the song and dance number, where she's not in sort of her normal uh, like production assistant garb. And she's like, you know, in a dress and, and like all done up and very pretty. And like every fucking thing he says to her is like about how he didn't know she had this amazing body. Her face sucks, but right, right. He, like, yeah, and it, it, I that scene, I was like, again, it's just very interesting to see this portrayal of these very uh, uh, negative qualities in men, um, but not done in a way that is meant to like demonize these characters. Yeah, I think. I mean, I think specifically with that character, I think it's it's not an accident that he's bound to a wheelchair, which pretty much strips him of his sexual agency because he you know he's making all these advances all over the place to all these actresses yeah, and, them- and they all just brush him off even though he's the most powerful person on the set um yes, they kind of think of him as a joke and i th- well I th- but but i think there's also importance in the fact that in in uh the main ca- uh, uh uh marina yeah um in her arc you know before she she uh, is a porno actress, right. and now you know her her most the only you know male suitor, uh, if you want to call him that, the only male counterpart she has is this lecherous director who can't really provide for her in any sexual manner. Right? Um, you know, it it makes a lot of sense as to why she ends up kind of falling for for Ricky, you know, right. because she, she he's kind of her only option. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's that much desperation in the choice. But No, and, and, and she's not played like a desperate character, yeah. but when he wins her over by 
not being all these other things. Right. You know, despite the fact that he's tying her up and not letting her leave. He's, he's like going out and getting things for her. He does drug deals for her, which are like the most like played for laugh drug deal scenes you've ever seen in a movie, like (laughs) heroin and like hard drugs even. Um, But I think it's important to mention Pedro Almodovar is an openly gay director. And that is the lens in which, a lot of his stuff is coming from. And I think that the way I saw it, this film, especially this time around is it's sort of a critique of heteronormativity. I think, I think he's, you know, he sees like this idea of like male, female power dynamics and is sort of having fun with them and playing them as being like, you know, you're literally tie me up, tie me down. You know, you're, you're, you're left with Mm -hmm. these, with these traditional roles. And even if like the two characters, they're, they're very much outsiders. One of them comes from a mental institution who like, I swear he's like Antonio Banderas is like doing his one flew over the cuckoo's nest performance. Um, It feels very much like a similar character to Jack Nicholson in that film. And Marina in is an ex drug addict, ex porn star. And they, they sort of find each other, Um, you know, through this, like this idea of like forcing a heteronormative relationship between them, they sort of learn that they're both not that they're actually outsiders and that's what they end up finding attractive about each other. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you could absolutely write a film school paper about that. (laughs) Uh, and, and I think, I think that reading that interpretation is absolutely, um, spot on as well. I think there's also... Something, uh, 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 honestly, the fact that telling me the director is openly gay, you know, makes a lot of sense too, because like the way, I don't know, there, there there's another interesting moment at the very beginning of the movie where it, like clearly Antonio Banderas has a sexual relationship with his fucking therapist. Right, well, you kind of get the idea that that's how he was able to get out. Wasn't exactly. because he got better, but he kind of like worked the system to, to escape. But it wasn't even working the system. It was like working uh, his sexuality. It was, right. it was like working through this woman who, you know, was probably frustrated and repressed in her own way. Right. Um, and he's sort of wielding his sexual power too. Yeah. I mean, a, a lot of the themes and, and stuff on other levels I wasn't really watching for or thinking of at the time. Um, I... When I watched it, I was just mostly kind of entertained yeah. and uh, and seduced by just the fucking cinematography. Again, mm-hmm. this movie is so well shot mm-hmm. uh, that I was just like, I don't know. I, I wasn't expecting that. I wasn't expecting it to be. And then these um, small sets, little apartments, little street scenes, things like that. I mean, it's not mm-hmm. vistas all over the place, but it's very intentionally shot. Yeah. I mean, overall, I dug it. I thought it was a lot mm-hmm. of fun. Um, um, cool. Well, that is uh, that. What it, did you have for us to uh, review in the next episode for the streaming homework? Uh, so in a, in our private Marco Polo group, you've uh, mentioned a couple times in the podcast, uh, you specifically said that you haven't watched a lot of uh, Studio Ghibli. Not as uh, much Ghibli. as I should have, no. Ghibli, yeah. Um, and myself included as well. I haven't seen uh, nearly as many uh, Ghibli features or Miyazaki movies that I want. 
Um, specifically, you have not seen my neighbor Totoro. I have also not seen my neighbor Totoro. So for the next episode, we are going to watch uh, My Neighbor Totoro, which is available streaming on HBO Max currently. Cool. Yeah, um, that's a big one. That's definitely a big one in my list of shame. So we'll get to that. And if anybody has anything to say about any of the topics we brought on this episode or past, you can contact us at our email at mcguffinpod at gmail.com. You can also drop us uh, some DMs or just uh, at us over on Twitter and Instagram at mcguffinpod. Um, you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash mcguffinpod. I might be closing that... Because I think we've been algorithm fucked, and I don't even think anyone's looking at that anymore. So I might close our Facebook. But um, until then, that's where you can also see some of the news stories and stuff. Um, you should just do it and get off of Facebook and right. be free. I am like posting our, our news stories on uh, Twitter as well, just in case. Uh, so go ahead and check that out. You can find me and my movie reviews that I do for the Idaho State Journal by Googling Idaho State Journal Movies, and that'll take you to that page. Uh, and you can follow me individually on Instagram and Twitter at BC Cassidy. Uh, be sure to leave us a five-star rating and a one-sentence review over at iTunes or Stitcher Radio, uh, Spotify, Google Podcasts, whatever your podcatcher of choice is, iTunes preferably. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's all I got. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Keith Foster Kid. Uh, you can also follow my art account at Sticky Note Aesthetic. Uh, I haven't updated that in a while. Uh, I just want everybody to know that I am working on something currently, Ooh. uh, that I think is going to be cool, um, <laughs> There's not enough there to really hype it yet, okay. um, but it won't be for a while. Okay. Just know that I'm I'm working on something cool, and hopefully I'll have some stuff to promote in the n- future. <laughs> I won't say the near future. In the future future. Yes. Okay. It is by going down into the abyss where we recover the treasures of life. Where you stumble, there lies your treasure. Bye.